Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we're glad that you invited us to share part of your evening with us. We do hope that we will be sharing some information with you tonight that will be interesting and informative about the culture of Mormonism and of polygamy. Before we get started, I'd like to announce that the Utah County Outreach Meeting for those questioning Mormonism and seeking the true biblical Jesus Christ is being held on Tuesday, February 21st at 6 p.m. and it's being held in Provo. And the uh, information, you can call 801-374-8489 for more information. And also, I'd like to mention that, again, that our next Life After Polygamy discussion group is Monday, the 27th of February at 6.30. And you can call or email us for information about that as well. And again, I heartily suggest for people who have come out of Mormonism or polygamy groups, you do need to have a support system that makes it much easier easier and less painful if you have people that's been there and done that and have been passed through some of the challenges. And so I do heartily suggest you go to the the support group in Provo on Tuesday or our Life After Polygamy discussion group on Monday the 27th. And I've been invited to speak at the Main Street Church in Brigham City on Sunday the 26th. And I've also been invited to speak at the Mountain View Bible Church in Laverkin, Utah on Sunday, March 11th. So anyone in that area uh, who's a viewer, I'd love to meet you if you'd like to come uh, at either one of those places on either one of those dates. Last week's show received a tremendous response from our viewers and several requests for the timeline uh, of the sh- that the sh- we showed last week has been made. Uh, and so the website now has our last week's show has been posted on it so you can go there and rewatch the show or tell others to go there and rewatch it. And we've also posted the timeline itself. Uh, that you can download onto your own computer. You can go to whatloveisthis.tv to rewatch the show, or you can click show notes and resources, and you will find the, the timeline that you can download and watch it and share the information with others. We received a call during the show last week from a caller Uh, on whom I ended up disconnecting because he was belligerent and and besides that we had other calls waiting and we like to give everybody a chance. Well he sent me an email of protest after the show which I'd like to share with you. This is what he said. Hey Doris on your last program you hung up on me you ignorant witch. What is wrong with you that you can't handle it when someone puts the pressure on you and does not agree with you what you are saying. Remember You were after those Mormons because we don't study the Bible. Our nose is in the Book of Mormon all the time. I told you we study the Bible every four years for a whole year as part of our study, and we also read it all the time as part of our study. And I told you that you should take your nose out of the Bible and study the Book of Mormon. And you hung up on me. 
Can't you handle the heat? You are so full of it. Okay, I've got a few questions for you to tell me about to back up. In the Bible, it talks about three kingdoms, one being the celestial kingdom, which is the highest degree. How do you explain that one? Another one is baptizing for the dead. How do you explain that one? Huh? I do not see any other churches doing that. Answer those questions and I will have some more for you. Well, Scott, who is one of our technical geniuses around here and an all-around nice guy, answered his letter first, and this is what he said. Doris hung up on you because it is our stated policy to hang up when callers become antagonistic or don't allow a two-way conversation. But answer me this. Are you really such a hate-filled bully that you would write a letter to a woman and call her an ignorant witch? Good grief, is this the kind of face you want to put on the LDS church? A contentious, mean-spirited bully? How can you claim to study the Bible and say such things? Jesus wouldn't go around bullying people and calling them ignorant witches. He would, and did, however, call people blind hypocrites, and I would suggest that you are blind to your own hypocrisy. Well, I thank Scott for his verbal support in answering bullies like this. I also wrote our viewer back and told him I'd answer his questions on the show tonight. Well, that inflamed him, and he continued on with some more inflammatory emails that I will not read on the show. This man is obviously following in the footsteps of his original leader, Joseph Smith. When, when Joseph Smith heard anyone say anything he didn't like or oppose him in any way, he'd wrangle at them and then boot him out of the church. That's the same attitude we find with this caller. Now, to answer his questions, <clears throat> we'll start with the three degrees of glory. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about three kingdoms of heaven or the three degrees of glory as the Mormon Church teaches it. There are three definitions of heavenly places, and we'll go to the Scriptures and let it speak for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 39 through 42, they will go up on the screen. Verse 39 says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Now those are the verses that the Mormon church and this viewer was referring to when they say the Bible teaches about three degrees of glory. But you don't see any three levels of, of heaven there. Uh, the word celestial, if you want to pull out your dictionary, means heavenly doesn't mean the top kingdom in heaven. It doesn't say that anywhere in this text. And terrestrial, if you pull out your dictionary, it means earthy or temporal. Now, would you explain how a kingdom of heaven can be earthy or temporal? And there is not a mention of telestial in the passage at all. There's no three levels of God's kingdom mentioned there. The context of these verses is the resurrection. In fact, the context of the entire chapter 
is resurrection. It is not the kingdoms of heaven. God is teaching us here that there, that just as there are earthly plants and creatures, they all have different types of bodies. And the heavens have different types of bodies in there. Now read it in context and that's what you'll see. The sun is more glorious than the moon and the moon is more glorious than the planets. And uh, our resurrected body is going to be more glorious than our earthly body. That's what that passage is teaching. It's, and that's all it's teaching. It's not saying anything else. And it's not teaching about three levels of God's kingdom. And if you want to insist it is there, you're one of those who are willingly blind. And those are the kind that Jesus rebuked. But because you believe it doesn't make it truth. It only testifies that you are basing your eternal life on a lie. Just one side note for all who believe you had a pre-mortal existence before you came here. We're in 1 Corinthians 15, so I thought I'd bring out this verse. The Bible also calls that a lie because there was no pre-mortal existence. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 46 says, The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The only person ever born on this planet who had a life before he came here is Jesus Christ, who is God Almighty. And before you kick and scream at me, you can pay attention to his words in John 3, verses 11 and 12, which say, Jesus is speaking, and he said, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus said the spiritual did not come first. Now, for our viewers' question about baptism for the dead, he said no other churches do that. So does that make the Mormon church true just because they baptize for the dead? No, it doesn't. That's just one more testimony that the Mormons and the Mormon polygamists are on the wrong boat, headed in the wrong direction, and they'll end up in the wrong destination. And all the time they're doing all kinds of things that God does not require them to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29 says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Now this is the only verse in the entire Bible that mentions baptism for the dead. The only verse. And it does not say we should do it, but only that other people practiced it. Again, carefully reading the text uh, will give you the answer to the question. And that doesn't say we baptize for the dead. It says they baptized for the dead. They meaning others who aren't part of we. And we is identifying those who follow Jesus. So they who baptized for the dead were not true Christians and were not followers of Jesus Christ. The context again is resurrection. It is not salvation. It is not salvation for the dead. It is not a second chance for salvation after death. So, the Mormon church needs to stop baptizing for the dead. And, I do hope we've answered your questions. And so on with the show. On our show, we most often focus on Joseph Smith because he was the original Mormon polygamist.
But tonight we thought it was time to focus on another of the early Mormon prophets who himself pontificated profusely on numerous heretical doctrines uh, in early Mormonism, so much so that we are surprised that he's even upheld as a prophet in Mormonism. Now we can understand why he's held up as a prophet in the polygamy groups, but we wonder why the Mormon church still hangs on to him. And that person is, of course, the second president, the seer and revelator and uh, president of the, excuse me, the second prophet, seer and revelator and president of the Mormon church, the infamous polygamist Brigham Young. Brigham Young was born on June 1st of 1801 in Vermont, and he converted to the Methodist faith in 1823. And after he read the Book of Mormon shortly after its publication in 1830, he became interested and joined the Mormons in 1832, and later he served a mission in Canada. After his first wife died in 1832, Brigham Young helped the Mormons get settled in Kirtland, Ohio. He was ordained to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in 1835. He became the second Mormon president sometime after Joseph Smith's death. He reportedly opposed plural marriage at first, but he later embraced it with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength and voice. Brigham Young described himself as a great lover of women. He said, and I quote, I love to see them happy, to see them well-fed and well-clothed, and I love to see them cheerful. I love to see their faces and talk with them when they talk in righteousness. But as for anything more, I do not care. They are probably but few men in the world who care about the private society of women less than I do. Well, for someone who didn't care about the society of women, he had 56 wives. Seven of them were widows of Joseph Smith's plural marriages. And after Joseph Smith's death, Brigham Young never had anything good to say about Emma. For instance, in a sermon, Brigham Young said this, Emma took that revelation about plural marriage, supposing she had all there was. She went to the fireplace and put the candle under it and burned it. And she thought that was the end of it, and she will be damned as sure as she is a living woman. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7. So much for Emma's salvation, according to Brigham Young. Several of Brigham Young's wives left him, and six of them obtained formal divorces. He had 31 daughters and 25 sons, and I do have a picture, I think they could put on the screen, of some of Brigham Young's daughters. Anne Eliza Young had been one of Brigham Young's polygamous wives, and she wrote a book about her experiences. We have a picture of her, too, to put on the screen. She's a very beautiful woman. And the name of her book was Wife Number 19, A Life in Bondage. And on page 530 of her book, she writes, Some of his children, talking about Brigham Young, are almost strangers to him. They know nothing of fatherly affection. And while they feel that they have a sort of prestige by being so closely related to him, they feel personally and only a dread of fear of him. He never invites their confidences, nor shows himself interested in their affairs. All this would be quite incompatible with his ideas of prophetic dignity. Well, you know, it's sad that his prophetic dignity wiped out his sense of fatherly responsibility. And this is true among polygamy groups and families. There is a terrible lack of fathering in these huge families. And I can also express my own personal experience with that. 
Brigham Young claimed that monogamy was begun by robbers. And I quote, This monogamic order of marriage, he said, so esteemed by modern Christians as a holy sacrament and divine institution is nothing but a system established by a set of robbers. Journal of Discourses, Volume 9. And yet, it was God in the Garden of Eden who brought together the first marriage in monogamy, and Jesus Christ sustained monogamy in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. So Brigham Young is essentially calling God and Jesus Christ robbers. D. Michael Quinn wrote a book called The Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power, and published by Signature Books. And in that book, he writes about his polygamist, uh, Brigham Young's polygamist wives, and he lists 58 wives of Brigham Young. The general list is about 56 wives. Five of Brigham Young's wives were 17 years old or younger when he married them. He was more than double the age of each of those teenage brides when they got married. The youngest of Brigham Young's wives was Clarissa Decker when, she married, when he married her. She was 15 years old and he was 42 years old, almost three times her, uh, his age, her age. This is a picture of her, when, of course, in her older years, but she was 15 years old when they got married. 21 of uh, Brigham Young's plural wives were at least or less than half his age at the time that they got married. So, along with his mentor, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young was also a serial polygamist and pedophile. And we have a picture of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young together um, in their buddy days, I suppose. And he also followed Joseph Smith's example in taking as plural wives women who were already legally married. At least five of his wives were legally married to other living men when they married Brigham Young. Much information about this can be found on utlm.org. And I got information about them, uh, his wives and their age and when they got married on this website, utlm.org. And the chart that I have put together, uh, you can go onto the website, What I Love Is This, and click on the show, uh, Notes and Resources, and you'll be able to download this chart. Brigham Young also rivaled Joseph Smith in his arrogance and boasting, and I quote, Some try to say how many wives the governor of Utah, Brigham Young, has. But if they can tell, they can tell more than I can, for I do not know how many I have. I have not counted them up for many years. I have heard, heard that I had 90. Why, bless your souls, 90 is not a beginning. You might ask me if I've ever seen them all. I answer, no. I see a few of them. I pick up myself here. I have lots and scores I never see, nor shall not, until the morning of the resurrection. Of course, uh, many women were sealed to Brigham Young that he didn't actually cohabitate with, but the 56 or 58 wives, whichever number you choose, he actually did cohabitate with all 58 of them. In Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, Brigham Young preached, quote, Brother Cannon remarked that people wondered how many wives and children I had. He may inform them that I shall have wives and children by the million, and glory and riches and honor and dominion and kingdom after kingdom and reign triumphantly. You'll find this in Journal of Discourses, Volume 8. But Jesus warned about boasters like this. 
Luke 18, 14, Jesus said, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Old Briggy once told his listeners, quote, No man need judge me. You know nothing about it, whether I am sent or not. Furthermore, it's none of your business. Only listen with open ears to what is taught you. And that is a prime early Mormon polygamist example of the blind leading the blind of the command to follow your leaders blindly and faithfully. Brigham certainly believed in looking out for number one. He said, and I quote, I do not profess to be very good. I will try to take care of number one, and if it is wicked for me to try to preserve myself, I shall persist in it, for I am intending to take care of myself. Journal of Discourses, Volume 5. So much for the servant leadership that Jesus Christ modeled for us. Jesus put out a warning of woe to those shepherds who look out only for themselves. A true prophet of God does not serve with the selfish attitude that Brigham Young adopted. An example of his selfish and arrogant attitude is told by Anna Eliza Young in Wife Number 19, page 167, and she said, Anyone who displeased the prophet was sent on a mission as punishment. Did the polygamous prophet fancy a man's wife? Well, he was sent to the farthest possible point from Zion to enlist souls for the Mormon church. So just like Joseph Smith, get a husband out of the way, so he could move in on and take his wife for himself. And the Bible calls this behavior adultery. Interesting how Mormon prophet can trump a previous one in prophetic requirements. On the word of wisdom, Brigham Young said, and I quote, If a person is weary, worn out, cast down, fainting, or dying, a brandy sling, a little wine, or a cup of tea is good to revive them. Do not throw these things away and say they must never be used. They are good to be used with judgment, prudence, and discretion. Ask your bishops if they drink tea every day, and in most cases they will tell you they do if they can get it. Well, historical accounts abound where the early Mormons and the leadership completely ignored the word of wisdom. And that includes Joseph Smith himself, and he was the author of it. And of course, the Bible is the final authority on everything. And here is a sample of what it says about food and drink. Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4, 1-3 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And the apostle counseled Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The word of wisdom is a fraud. We know that tea is good for our digestive system and that coffee also has some health benefits. And again, Anne Eliza Young gives us a bit of timely insight into Brigham Young's requirement for the poor Mormon people. Wife number 19, page 173, Brigham Young said, I intend this year to bring out over every saint from the old country, and you must take a hold, 
take hold and help me. I want the sisters to leave off their ribbons and finery and stop running to the stores. I want you one and all to stop using tea, coffee, tobacco, and whiskey. And the money you would spend for these things you must donate for the immigration of the poor in Europe. Evidently, the saints were spending money on tea and coffee and tobacco and whiskey or he wouldn't have had to tell them not to. And he didn't tell them not to so they would be obedient to the word of wisdom. He told them not to so they could save that precious dollar. This was decades after Joseph Smith's so-called word of wisdom revelation. All of Brigham Young's 500 or so sermons were recorded word for word by a faithful stenographer. And Brigham claimed that every talk or every sermon was to be considered as scripture. So you can't say that he was just talking as a man because these things were recorded. So he was talking as scripture, he, he claimed. Quote, I have never yet preached a sermon and sent it out to the children of men that they may not call scripture. Let me have the privilege of correcting a sermon and it is as good a scripture as they deserve. Journal of Discourses, volume 13. About the Mormon gospel, Brigham Young said, now remember everything is scripture that he says. He says, and I quote, The gospel of the Son of God that has been revealed is a plan or system of laws and ordinances by strict obedience to which the people who inhabit this earth are assured that they may return again into the presence of the Father and the Son. Journal of Discourses, volume 13. Now, first of all, none of us return again into the presence of God. We were never there to begin with because we had no pre-mortal existence. We already did that earlier. There was no father and mommy God up in heaven making spiritual babies. And I'm going to do that verse again in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was Adam. He was of the dust of the earth. The second man was Jesus, and he was from heaven. Only Jesus came from heaven. We did not. And what Brigham Young said was the gospel is a sad gospel of Mormonism. God's grace isn't mentioned. It's relegated into an unmentionable status in the salvation plan, according to Brigham Young. Yet the Bible tells us that it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. Brigham Young said the gospel is a system of laws that must be obeyed. But Galatians 3.10 says all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. No one can earn God's favor by living under a religious system of laws and ordinances. In fact, all the good works that humans do to try and gain favor with God are frowned upon by Him and rejected as self-righteousness and filthy rags. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6 for that one. To further blaspheme the true gospel, Brigham Young also said this, quote, The fullness of the gospel is the united order and plural marriage. And I fear that when I'm gone, this people will give up these two principles which we prize so highly. And if they do this, the church cannot advance as God wishes for it to. Now, it was the prophet who said, the fullness of the gospel is the united order and plural marriage. And you pick on the polygamy groups who are doing this? 
Yet the LDS church, of which he was ordained and designated a prophet, doesn't even recognize the United Order, and they excommunicate all those who practice polygamy. Sounds like they've given up the fullness of the gospel, according to Brigham Young. So who has it right? Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or the Joseph Smith polygamists or, 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 or the LDS church? They all teach and preach contradictory gospels, which the Bible says is really no gospel at all. Brigham Young dogmatically refused to consider giving up polygamy. And I quote, Suppose this church should give up this holy order of marriage. Then would the devil and all who are in league with him against the cause of God rejoice that they had prevailed upon the saints to refuse to obey one of the revelation and commandments of God. Well, it looks like that's exactly what happened. The Mormon church gave up polygamy. Yet, despite all this huffing and puffing and threats of dire punishment about polygamy, it was truly a hated doctrine among Utah Mormon women. And Eliza Young says on page 597, the workings of the polygamous system in the families of the rich and the poor is as hateful in the one case as in the other, and equally productive of misery in both. I have yet to learn of one woman who is happy in it. Like Zena Young, they say, the system must be right, I suppose. We are taught that it is. But if that is the case, we must live it wrongly. There is fault somewhere. In her heart of hearts, no woman believes it to be right although she may try to convince herself that it is right. Brigham Young must have considered himself a great scientist. He said, quote, Gold and silver grow, and so does every other kind of metal, the same as the hair upon my head or the wheat in the field. Journal of Discourses, Volume 1. So gold and silver and all other metals grow. Do they water them and fertilize them and do they have roots, you know, all this kind of stuff? He said they grow. Well, was he really a scientist or did he just imagine some very bizarre ideas? He said, quote, With regard to the inhabitants of the sun, do you think it is inhabited? I rather think so. Do you think there is any life there? No question of it. It was not made in vain. Journal of Discourses, Volume 13. That the sun was not made in vain is true, but that its inhabitant is stupid. The sun was created simply to give light and life on the earth. Of Brigham Young, Oliver B. Huntington said, and I quote, As far back as 1837, I know that he said the moon was inhabited by men and women the same as this earth, and that they lived in a greater age than we do, that they lived generally to the near, of a th near the age of a thousand years. He described the men as averaging near six feet in height and dressing quite uniformly in something near the Quaker style. Brigham Young claimed, In my patriarchal blessing, I was told that I should preach the gospel to the inhabitants upon the islands of the sea and to the inhabitants of the moon, even the planet you can now behold with your eyes. This was published by the Young Ladies Mutual Improvement Association of Zion in 1892, and there are those who dismiss this as being hearsay, that Brigham Young didn't really say it, somebody just said he said it, because, uh, and so they say it's hearsay because it's not a direct quote. However, it was officially accepted, and the Mormon Church authorized its 
inclusion in an official church publication. So if it's not true, then they are guilty of, of, of publishing untrue comments. Brigham Young preached um, the following about his Mormon beliefs, and I quote, I say to the whole world, receive the truth, no matter who presents it to you. Take up the Bible, compare the religion of the Latter-day Saints with it, and see if it will stand the test. Well, we actually do that. We take Brigham Young up on his challenge regularly on this show and get a lot of nasty criticism as a result. But Brigham Young's challenge is rather strange because he admitted that he didn't read the Bible. And when he had read it in the past, he didn't even understand it. And I quote, It is the words of Jesus Christ, but where they are in the Bible, I cannot tell you now, for I have not taken pains to look at them. I have had so much to do that I have not read the Bible for many years. I used to read and study it, but did not understand the spirit and meaning of it. And Brigham Young was a prophet speaking for God, and he wouldn't read or understand God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says that those without the spirit of God cannot understand the things of God. And he admitted he had no understanding. That tells the story. Wouldn't God's prophet and God's true church study the word of God on a regular basis? But not Brigham Young. He couldn't even open up the Bible. He couldn't even remember the last time he opened up the Bible and read its pages. About Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball said, Brother Brigham is placed on God as God's agent to us in the flesh. Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, and on page 119, he said that he is God's representative in the flesh, the mouthpiece of God unto us. Consequently, salvation for the Mormon rested on the obedience to Brigham Young, just as their salvation previously had rested on their obedience to Joseph Smith. Not Jesus, but on Brigham Young and Joseph Smith. This is precisely why the FLDS and the other polygamy groups all refer to their prophet as God's mouthpiece on earth. If Monson is the LDS prophet, then just as legitimately, so is Warren Jeffs, Paul Kingston, Lemoyne Jensen, and all other polygamous leaders. But God has the final say, and He is very clear there are no more authoritative prophets. He reminds us that, us that there's only one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ and only Jesus. So Monson and Kingston and Jeffs and Blackmore and Jessup and Harmston and Jensen and anyone else who claims to be a prophet, you need to get off your pedestal and toss it and bow your head and your heart to Jesus Christ because you have usurped his position that doesn't exist for you and belongs only to Jesus Christ. No one is above another in God's eyes. The only true and living prophet is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ has spiritual authority over another person. So none of these men have any authentic spiritual power or authority over a single soul and the only power that they have is what you give them. God has given them no power over you. And if the polygamist would only grab hold of that fact, much pain and suffering and abuse would come to a screeching halt. And that is what we pray for.
There are so many awful, terrible stories of how Brigham Young cheated his own Mormon people out of money and wages and property. As an example of this in Wife Number 19, pages 164 and 165, it write, she wrote, The Mormon soldiers, commonly called the battalion, sent all their pay to their families to the care of Brigham Young, and he cared for it so well that the poor families never received it. John D. Lee brought the money, which was collected from the soldiers amounting to several thousand dollars, and gave it to Brigham. The families of these soldiers were nearly starving, and all of them were very poor, needing the money that their husbands had sent them. And in the face of all this destitution and suffering, Brigham Young bought goods in Missouri to take out to the valley. And if a soldier's wife ventured to ask him for anything, she was rudely repulsed, usually without the slightest excuse for not giving her what was rightfully her own. That's terrible. That's only one of many, many stories of how Brigham Young cheated his own people. On page 519, she wrote this, Rough old Heber C. Kimball, more daring than the others, used to express himself very freely. Brigham's God is gold, he said one day to the apostle Orson Hyde. He has changed much since he and I stood by each other in the old days defending the faith. He has become a selfish, cold-hearted tyrant, and he doesn't care at all for old friends who have stood by him and loved him." End quote. Brigham Young died of complications related to a probable ruptured appendix on August 29th of 1877. He left a legacy of iron control, unrelenting demands for obedience to church authority, and a system of total control of body, mind, soul, and spirit of its members for the coming century and more. And like Joseph Smith, he also left a legacy of unrelenting polygamist activity, gorging himself on the abomination of polygamy as described in the Book of Mormon. But we praise God for the biblical Jesus. He is not our brother. He is God Almighty. He is the one and the only one who is the embodiment of truth, who is our prophet, our priest, and our king, the one who sets us free when we know the truth, and when we know the truth, we are free indeed. Well, we'll open up our phone lines now. If somebody wants to call in and participate in this little discussion here about Brigham Young, our telephone number is 801-973-8820, 973-TV20. We'd love to hear from you. You can start calling in. And please remember, turn down your TV volume, a two-way conversation, or we will disconnect you. And, and, and no honorary callers, please. I mean, we'd love to discuss whatever you believe, but be nice. And we have a message to share while we wait for the calls to come in. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. 
We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you, is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to the show. We're glad you returned with us. And uh, our telephone lines are open now. If you want to call in, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We've been talking about Brigham Young and some of his strange ideas and some of his predictions and his behavior. Uh, give us a call. We'd love to talk with you uh, about what your thoughts are of these, this information. I have an email here that I would like to share. It came in after, uh, in December, we showed um, a reshowing of the, the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, and this lady wrote in after she saw the show. She said, I'm an ex-Mormon. I watch your show regularly, but the last two shows have been wonderful. Watching tonight's show brought tears to my eyes during the times these people spoke of their journey. Although I have never been a fundamentalist Mormon, I still related to so much of what they were saying, especially the woman that wanted the truth and just wanted to serve Jesus. That was myself back in the 18, 1980s. I remember standing by my patio window and just telling God that I would do whatever he he wanted me to do. I submitted my life to him, and being the loving father he is, he heard me and delivered me from the Mormon Church. It took several years for me to find the truth of my salvation and to get rid of all the dark doctrine of the so-called church. But as I look back now and see where he has taken me and how he has showed me the way, I marvel at God's goodness to me. Recently, I heard a song at church that brought tears to my eyes when we sang, Don't let me go. No, never let me go. Jesus, never let go of me. And I know he won't. I know that God will bless you as you continue to do his work on your show. I pray the Holy Spirit will continue to use your show to reach out to those still in this horrible bondage of Mormonism, that their eyes may be opened and that they may know the truth. 
Glory be to God from my heart to yours, Miss M. And this so touched my heart, I thought I would read it. And maybe someone out there who's just kind of wondering which direction to go, maybe this will help you. Because all you need to do is give yourself to God and He will take it from there. It's not promised to be uh, a bed of roses, but it is a promise that God will watch out for you from here on out. Okay, we have a uh, call here coming in from St. George, and it looks like her name is Yvonne. Hello, Yvonne. Yes. Yes, you're on the air. You're on the air, Yvonne. Okay. Hello, Doris. Hi. What's your question? Yes, I was calling because I was wondering, um, I mean, your your show last week and this week has been fantastic. I've learned so much. Good. And um, I was wondering where the polygamy started from because I, I know that in the Bible it says that if you're to be like uh, an apostle or, what, or a semi official in the church, you must be of one wife. It says that in First Timothy. Uh-huh, that's true. And, and so, where did they get that it was okay to start polygamy? Did they not follow the Bible in the very beginning? Uh, Yvonne, that's an excellent question. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, and unfortunately, because there are certain behaviors that the Bible reports about hap taking place in different cultures, uh, and polygamy was one of those things that the cultures did in the early times. People read that and think that, that the Bible is condoning that behavior, and really it isn't. It's only reporting it. In fact, polygamy, when it's uh, every time it's reported of in the Bible, it's always in a negative way. Nothing positive is ever said about polygamy. But the first polygamy in the Bible is back in Genesis chapter 4, where Lamech, who is a son of Cain, took uh, two wives. And then from that point on, we'll read it from time to time, Abraham took um, his, um, his wife's uh, uh, maid, handmaid, to, and got her pregnant. And Jacob had four wives, and David, who was a king of Israel, had several wives. And so they think that just because these men had all these wives, that it's okay to do it. But it isn't, and God never commanded it. And the, the, the terrible thing about it is Joseph Smith actually, in the Book of Mormon, called David and Solomon's wives and concubines evil and an abomination. Then in the Doctrine and Covenants, he calls it good and says that God justified them for doing that. So Joseph Smith took the Bible, he twisted what it said and misapplied it and made it sound like that uh, polygamy was required for salvation. Right, right, yeah. I was going to say, I, uh, I had a friend that actually was Brigham Young's granddaughter, and she'd become a born-again Christian. And she had talked to me about some of the stuff that you had said on your show tonight and stuff. And I'd never heard anybody else say that until mm -hmm. you tonight mm -hmm. and stuff. And, and the information that you're giving me, helps me a lot Good. because Good. I know when I'm witnessing to somebody and trying to share the love of Jesus with them, a lot of times the Mormons will come back with about Joseph Smith being the prophet and Brigham yeah. Young, and, and so it gives me information to where it can help me to where I can talk to them right, it and does. present them mm -hmm. with knowledge. 
mm-hmm. to where I, I can can say that Jesus loves them more than Brigham Young or Joseph Smith. That, that's very true. And I also would like to mention, we have this booklet. You can get it off the web, or if you want to leave your address, I'll mail this to you. It's called, Is Polygamy Biblical? And it's actually a Bible study on polygamy and, and each situation of polygamy in the Bible and the explanation of, uh, of the reason for it and how God didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, I would love that. I appreciate that. Leave your mailing address with the operator, and I'll mail it to you. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Yvonne. Thanks for calling. God bless you, and keep doing what you're doing. Well, we'll do it as long as he lets us. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay. We have line three, Jerry in Midway. Hello, Jerry. Okay. Bye-bye. Jerry. Okay. Jerry, you need to turn off. Jerry in Midway. Hello, Jerry. Hi. Um, turn, down, turn your TV yeah, I down. Was ask you about, I was going to ask you about the uh, polygamy. Hello? I can't hear you. Yeah, uh, I'm here. You Is your TV turned down? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, I can uh, hear you. It just does not seem realistic to me that uh, the great righteous prophets of the Old Testament could have lived in adultery and, and still been true prophets. I mean, the uh, the book of the Doctrine and Covenants indicates that the concubines and so forth were not lawful, but there were certain wives that God did approve of for these, these no, men. No, there was no approval of a polygamy by God. He not Jerry. let an adulterer be a true prophet. Jerry, there was no uh, polygamy approved of by God, ever. And I would also like you to know that in the Bible, it wasn't the prophets who lived polygamy. It was the kings. And in the Old Testament, you will find that there are three separated offices for, for administration of God's uh, kingdom. There were the prophets and there were the priests, and the priests couldn't be prophets, and the prophets couldn't be priests, and there was the king. The king couldn't be priest or prophet, and neither one could take the office of the other. And it was not the prophets who ever lived polygamy. It was the kings who lived polygamy. Okay? So no, well, Abraham wasn't a prophet in the sense of the other Old Testament prophets, and he actually didn't live polygamy. He took Hagar to bed, got her pregnant, that was the end of it. It never happened again. That was it. He had one child with Hagar, and that was it. So he did not live or practice polygamy. And it wasn't the right thing to do, but he did do it. But God forgave him because Abraham repented. And Jacob uh, was an adulterer with his four wives, right? Now, the Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. You have to keep that in mind, too. God did not give the law until Exodus chapter 20. And so there wasn't a law there for them to have disobeyed. Although it was wrong for them to do it, there weren't breaking a law because the law wasn't there. Hello? Is that shocking? Okay, uh, my final question is, uh, I always have to, I always have to, uh, to wonder how uh, you can attribute uh, good fruit to an evil tree. Like, uh, the great uh, people that Latter-day Saints are, the, the great work that Brigham Young brought forth, uh, great work, uh, colonized the Intermountain West, uh, 
that and, and uh, brought forth a righteous people. Jerry, um, Jerry, that how does. How can you think that a, Jerry, an evil tree can bring forth? that much good fruit well there isn't a lot of good fruit I'm telling you here right now now there are good people I'm there are good people but as far as the fruit that the Bible talks about the fruit is not works because works don't save you Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 we are saved by grace through faith not by works so you can't use works as an excuse that the Mormon church is true let's look at some of the fruit we have uh, Utah has the highest the highest usage of of um, antidepressants the highest t uh, sexual um, activity of, with teens right now it's become the highest center for for the most populated for gay people I mean what you what's the fruits for heaven's sake there, anybody can be good. You don't have a corner of the market of being good. And besides that, the Bible says just one, one sin makes a person so they're not good. That only God is good. So you're not talking about the fruit that the Bible is talking about. You're talking about the fruit that you want to talk about. Well, I've got I, another... I have nine children and... Uh... I have seven boys that are all Eagle Scouts. So well, some of the fruits are moral, moral righteousness. There's good moral, there's good morality in a lot of people. And, and I'm not saying that there's not a lot of good Mormon, moral Mormon people. There are. Uh, there definitely is, but that doesn't get you to heaven. The Mormon people have put aside Jesus Christ. They've put aside who God is. They've got Jesus Christ as Satan's brother. Well, Satan's brother didn't die on the cross for our sins. I've got another call coming in and we're getting late, but if you want to pursue this conversation, I'd love it if you'd email me, tv at aboutpolygamy.com. I'd love to talk to you about it, but I've got to take another call real quick. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, line one, Justin. Hello, Justin. Yes. Yes, we have to do this real quickly. We only have a minute. Okay. What's your question or comment? Yes, is this Doris? Yes, it is. Yes, my question is that um, on Jesus' bloodline, if I recall, he came down through King Solomon. And uh, the yes. wife that he came through through Solomon was a polygamous wife. It was the Bathsheba. wife of the man that, that, that King Solomon had sent to the front lines to be that's killed. That's right, mm -hmm. Bathsheba. The question is, if that's the case, why would God condone, why would God allow his bloodline to come down through uh, God gave, Jesus Christ was born through sin, through a line of sinners, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, answer the rest of it now because this is a very quick answer and, and shut you off. But Jesus uh, was born through a line of sinners. You can go clear back to Abraham when you read uh, Luke and and uh, Matthew's gospel, and from the very beginning, from Adam on down, there were sinners clear until Jesus Christ, and there were all kinds of sin, and uh, we just know that God through God's grace He forgives our sins. And and Jesus Christ in His grace came through a line of sinners, although His blood, because He wasn't uh, um, born 
uh, through a man, he did not inherit the sin nature. He was perfectly God. Now, it's, uh, I need to close now, and I thank you all for watching. It's, uh, but my closing comments are about the Mormon polygamists and the present-day leaders who misrepresent God in his character and his love and his laws. His grace seems to be completely alien to them, and it was the same in Brigham Young's day as it is today. They don't know God, so they invent what they believe God is like, and then they teach their false ideas to their membership, and then they threaten their membership with massive guilt and condemnation because they don't believe the lies they've been taught. And I wonder how many of our viewers have actually done a personal, in-depth study for yourself on God, or do you just on who God is and what He's like, or do you just believe what you're told? When I first left the polygamy group, I hated the God that they taught me about, and I didn't want to have anything to do with them, but I didn't know who He really was until years later. And people who leave polygamy and turn their backs on gods do that because they don't know the true God, the God who loves you, who is good, everything good comes from Him. He wants a living, loving relationship with you, not to give you guilt trips, and not to carry a whip and whip you around the all the place. He's not a, a celestial policeman just waiting around the corner to catch you and punish you for doing wrong. But he's a good and loving God. He's not a mere grandfather that'll pat you on the head and say your sins are okay. Instead, God became a man and himself paid the penalty for your sins. And when we believe and trust that fact, he gives us the gift of eternal life with him. It isn't through works, it's through his, his salvation on the cross. And so you can empty yourself and turn to God and love Him, accept Him, and be saved. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.